Semi-pro just means aspiring to be pro, probably not going to be pro. I'm also semi-pro pickleball. A handful of things go on. We know that semi-pro is just a fancy way of saying I'm passionate and not great. That's what we're saying here on the Be Wealthy podcast. What we're saying is there's really cool things you could do that enhance your life that involve thinking about different about happiness. You can't amortize your happiness. What he meant was you can't think about how many days you're happy with something and try to count up all the pennies sometimes. Some things you're just gonna make an investment if it makes you happy. The happiness is the investment. Welcome back to the Be Wealthy Podcast with Brett Tanner. It is episode 0007, Cole, and that is the lucky number. People don't realize how lucky seven is. And one of the things I think about, Cole, is I think about somebody, Mark Cuban's quote, someone had to be the luckiest person on the planet. Why can't it be me? And you're lucky here today because it's episode 0007. Yes, yes, Woo! yes. They, The podcast episodes do not do themselves. AI cannot do it. We are real people. Cole's real. We're still working on his nickname. <laughs> if you would please, please, please come up with a great nickname. We need something like Baba Booey, something amazing. I want it to be special. If not, we're definitely going to create that internally. Uh, but today is all about the investments that you've never heard of. And is my investing journey has gone on and on. I find myself finding access to better investments that have better returns that are actually less noisy. If I look at what I did in the beginning, I thought the only way to really invest in real estate is you buy single family homes. That was my thought process. And now I realize there's a whole gamut of things. Number one, inside of real estate we'll talk about today, but there's other investments that make a ton of sense. And what makes all that possible is, is truly the information age. No, I'm not a baby boomer, but the information age really changed it. I go back to 1999 when I went to college, your, while email was a tool, everyone understood that email was a tool, college professors would not accept a paper via email, right? Instead, they asked you to actually hand it in in paper, where today you can access any type of information. You can go on masterclass and watch and get the skills. Some of the best professionals, business people, athletes, celebrities in the world, and you can watch it on demand on your phone anywhere in the world. So there's access, there's so much more access to information, which on the investing side gives us better access to assets that were primarily in the past only available to really, really wealthy. It was kind of behind closed doors and these weird things. And it's not that anybody was hiding it. It's just they had a different level of access. And I think what's so cool about today and what we're trying to bring to you on our podcast is different ways to think about your money, to live better, and ultimately have a really, really kick-ass life. So today's all about those seven investments. One of the investments is going to be so crazy, you're going to say, I don't believe it. Brett, this is a scam. It's illegal. Cole, you're going to, it's got to be something crazy because it's too good. But there's an, there's an investment out there that you could invest your capital. And there's a way if you wanted to, to get 100% of that money back. And you could use that money to do another deal. And the question would be, how many times can you do it as fast as possible? And so we're going to talk about that when we get to, it's one of the five. I want you to stick around and make sure that you listen and hear that investment. And I want to hear your comments about what you think when you hear it. So a uh, live update, I had a, a crazy business world. Uh, I had a crazy business week, just a, a lot going on in my office. We're making some changes and I needed to do something personally that would actually live our Be Wealthy mission. I want to do something epic. And, and so I, on Thursday night, I was driving home and I thought, what a cool way. Why don't we do an emergency fishing trip to my favorite place on the planet, which is Putamita, Mexico. I walk in the door. It was like seven o'clock at night. I asked my 10 year old, Hey dude, how do you feel about flying to Mexico tomorrow, fishing for two days, catching fish, coming and eating it? We're going to do some probably e-foiling. We're going to do something crazy. And how do you feel about that? He goes, Dad, I'm 100% in. So we load up and we rolled into Punamita. We found a room. All I wanted to make sure, I text my fishing guide, which will come up here in a minute, uh, the guy that owns the company. I said, dude, do you have a bo two boats available for two days? I said, we'll figure it out. So I don't have a room yet booked, booked two, book flights there and back and figured out the room on the way, confirmed as we were in the air. And I had two of the best days ever fishing. Point of that story is money. It's not all about the dollars and making it and growing your net worth. All those things are super, super important. But I think there's a connectivity between what we really want in our lives, which is better experiences, right? We want to really live that wealthy lifestyle, which isn't about money. It's really about moments. The more moments you can create, right? And the more magical that moment, and we all have the ability to create them. I think we just lose that 
Um, is it that inspiration call? We lose that desire to create those moments so we can get stuck. And so I'm constantly thinking about what's the most, what's the most momentum? What's the most epic thing I can do in this moment to make it really matter and be something I won't forget? At the end, it was an incredible trip. We caught a ton of fish and I'll share a little more about the story in one of the five investments that we're gonna talk about today. So um, as we jump in, right, we said we got we have more access than, than ever to impossible investments. You know, and most of us only know what we know. And if we really look back in the past, what you're gonna see is we've all kind of been fed a certain group of investments, like alternative investments. A lot of things we're talking about today aren't things that were being talked about. People have talked about, right, stocks, mutual funds. If you look at the whole 401k world, until the last really 10 years, you were primarily limited to taking your 401k funds and going in this generic mix of either stocks or mutual funds or ETFs that are pretty, you know, that are just kind of generic, general plan, put your money in the stock market, set it and forget it, work 30 years, put your head down, and we hope you can retire. And what's cool now is you realize, hey, I've got a retirement account, I could self-direct that account. So it may, if, if you're a current employee, your plan may not allow it, but some people have had a prior 401k. A lot of people in the real estate industry came in this industry from another business. So if you actually have an old 401k, you could self-direct it, and then you could put into any of the investments that we're gonna talk about today. So there's just a different way to be thinking about your investments. And again, the thing we talk about here is where do you have that unfair advantage? When you go to investor capital, all of the money you can make, the return is largely based on where is your unfair advantage? You know, if you think about, again, there's three resources in life, money, talent, and time. So if you've got the capital, where is that talent that you have that you know more about this asset, this investment, could be real estate in your area, could be land in your area, could be some other business type investment in your area that you might have an unfair advantage. And that's where I think you should look about playing. So uh, there's definitely no shortage of experts on the subject. Everything I'm going to show you on here, I either have millions of dollars of those investments, or I will specify the last one as an example. It's something I'm in the middle of doing. So none of this is theory. We're not the Cole, we're not. I know you are a 20, 24, correct? Cole, or are we 23? We get this wrong every time. 24. 24. And so, Cole, I know in your world on the TikToks and the Insta faces that there are no shortage of the 24-year-old wizard who is yet to do anything. And you know what's funny, Cole, today? I think there's more of a desire online to look rich than be rich. Like, I don't really care. They don't want to do the work and do the things to get the money. What I want to do is pay someone else to sit in their Lambo and take a picture of it and pump it online. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, that's that. Yeah. yeah, You don't want to own the plane, Cole, when you could pay to take the photos. You you can't fly in it, but you take the photo, crush it on, you know, get a lot of likes and get a lot of sharing. Just as good. Just as good. I mean, flying private, they say it's cool. You know, it's really cool sitting in that seat for five minutes uh, on on a hot tarp. It just sounds amazing. What a win. But you got to really disconnect from that because you really think about it. People have a greater desire today to look wealthy than be wealthy. So this show is all about how to actually be wealthy. I could care less how you look. Uh, this is my dressed up outfit where I've got my got my Viore, by the way, greatest thing ever, latest guy to Viore, not a sponsor of the show, should be. Uh, and by the way, couldn't love it more. I don't care if they ever become a sponsor, they're gonna be free, all the promotion in the world for our from our 50,000 viewers worldwide on every episode. But Viore, cool, this is my dress up outfit. So the hoodie's really, uh, I'm dialed in, and so with that, let's jump into today's episode. So we're gonna go through a handful full of investments, five, that um, in no specific order, that I think are things you don't know about. You've never heard of these, or if you've heard of them, you're probably not super familiar with the mechanics and exactly how they work. And so today's goal is to kind of demystify that, explain you the pros and cons of each of these, and really give you a format that if you want to learn more, you could go find a way to learn more about these assets. We'll give you a specific way to do that. And you can begin investing in them if that's something you wanted to do. Now, before we jump in, no matter where this goes today, I want you to know that the first thing you should do, you should not run out and buy any of these assets. You have to get an education. Again, it's back to your unfair advantage. You need to take the time to go learn and master these assets. When I decided to start investing in any of these things, and I'll tell you exactly what I did to do it, uh, I found the number one expert, 
I got their courses and training. I joined their program. I bought every single book and public industry publication, and I read all of them. Now, what happens when you read 40 or 50 books on a subject? A lot of them are crap. They're just not good, Cole. They're not every single book written on a subject. I know it sounds impossible. Some books are garbage. Some books will change your life. $20 will change your life. $20 can also waste a tremendous amount of time. So you got to be careful that some of the books are crap. And so I'll give you the exact model of how I went about thinking about it, how I got started, and then really where we're at today with each business. So let's jump into my favorites. The favorite, I, when we, at any of our events or in our masterminds, people say, what's your favorite business, Brett? You got these seven different companies that you own and operate. What's the favorite one? And I always have the same answer. I love well, two businesses. I love our investment company that goes out and we're, we're making cash offers on commercial buildings, on houses, on multifamily. Every day we're trying to buy assets that we either want to flip, we want to keep in our portfolio. And so that's a big part of what we do. And I just, that business, I love it because it's my passion. The investing side of the world is where I spend my time. Uh, I love the creativity and deals. And I just enjoy playing in that investment space where the decisions are all based on math and not emotion. Because today there's too many times where we're looking at decisions that are based on emotion, right? People are going to make a decision emotionally and then come back and try to justify that decision with logic. And that's what you see happen all the time. And what I love about the investment company is that's not the case. That's not the businesses. So my second favorite or my other business that it would be the, of the assets we're going to talk about, my favorite one is hard money lending, right? First position lending. We'll talk a little bit about some of these seconds that we do, but primarily you're lending money to another person who's going to buy the home. So there's two ways that you always think about owning real estate. You can own the asset. We're very familiar with owning an apartment building or a single family host house in your neighborhood, right? A very, very simple thing for us all to understand, right? We own a home. Uh, I was not familiar, right? Even though I'd sold, you know, probably a billion dollars worth of real estate as a, as a real estate agent. Uh, I wasn't that familiar with the other side, the debt side, whether that's hard money lending or a seller finance note, which we'll talk about here in a second. So hard money lending, you're basically, you're gonna have the first mortgage, no different than the bank, like the, on the mortgage that you have at home, no different than that. And the borrower is gonna make payments to you. So technically the home is owned by them. You have an instrument, a deed of trust that is recorded in a promissory note that recorded against this piece of collateral and the borrower has to pay you under the terms in that agreement. And so for the purpose of this conversation, we're gonna say that all of these hard money loans were business purpose, meaning the person that is buying the property is not going to live in it as a primary residence. They're gonna occupy it as an investment property. And the way to think about it, right, is if you think about investing, if you were to go buy that home, and Cole, let's say there's a $300,000 house, and I got a really great deal, and I was to buy that property for say $250,000, that'd be a great deal. Now, if I went to lend someone money and they were buying it at 250,000, a normal scenario would be I'd want 20% down. So even though it's worth 300,000, they're buying it at 250,000, 20% of $250,000 is $50,000. So my loan amount from to them is going to be $200,000. So the worst thing that happens if I do this right and I understand the value of the real estate and I like the deal is that they pay me as agreed, right? If the best thing that would happen, they actually don't pay me and I get a two hundred, I get a $300,000 house for $200,000. Now, I'm not rooting on anyone to fail. That's not what investors do. Investors have one job. Don't ever forget that your job as an investor is to accurately price in the risk. You're going to invest your dollars, right? And you're accurately pricing in the risk. Meaning if something has an insanely high return, it has high risk. If it has no risk, the return is going to be much lower. So your job's to price it. So on a hard money loan, right, the typical interest rates you're going to see are around 10 to 14%, and that's going to include points and fees. And so usually that's broken up a couple different ways. There's the interest rate that the borrower is paying. Again, I mentioned 10 to 14%, and the borrower is going to probably pay 1% to 2%. They call it points, 1% to 2 points of the loan amount, uh, and that in addition to the interest rate. And so all in, if you figure the return of all of that, you're going to land somewhere in that 10 to 14% overall. If you do a loan at say 11.9 and a point and a half, you'll, you'll be pushing up toward that 14%, depending on if it's a six month or 12 month loan. And so I love lending money to people. The way I think about it is I love lending money. I love lending money at prices that I would love to own the underlying real estate at. So if I love that house at 250,000, I would really like it at 200,000. It's a great investment. The other positive of it, I think they're relatively low risk. If you're if you can really understand and you know for a fact that the value of that home is $300,000, there's very little risk in this investment. 
Uh, it's also fairly liquid. Some of these loans could be six to 12 months and you could do longer ones. There's ones that might take a more construction or whatever, but your average hard money loan that I do is about six to 12 months. And we have a three month interest minimum. So if someone wants to buy it, they have to sell it really, really quickly. There's, there's work that goes into actually placing a loan. So we want to make sure that there's a certain amount of time. Use that's 90 days for us. And I always measure noise in investing, right? I think about how much noise. Noise is where how you get all this white, amazing white hair. That's noise in investments. Um, all that was done, coal through business and noisy investments. And that's why I'm going to share with you the five best investments today that don't have a ton of noise. Um, investors don't call that often. They mail their payments into you. They're interest-only payments primarily so that you're not having to figure out amortization schedules or payoffs. It's really simple. Here's where we're at. And you're just prorating that one month. Uh, the other thing I love about hard money lending, it's fairly simple to start. You don't need a huge marketing campaign. You likely know in your market out there today, people that are doing fix and flip properties. Uh, probably a good number, about 60% of all of the fix and flip transactions are financed by hard money. There is short-term loans that are being done, not by banks. For whatever reason, the banking industry, it makes no sense to me, Cole, why the banking industry isn't going after why is the bank industry not going after this incredible loan product? And I think it's because, number one, it, it's in and out. It's faster. Banks love placing money and parking it with the borrower who's going to pay for five, seven, 20 years or refinance there. Not someone's going to pay off and the deals are a little more complicated. And sometimes the value of these properties, right, because they're, it's a fix and flip, the property may need a tremendous amount of work. And banks do not love properties that need a tremendous amount of work because if the borrower doesn't pay, they don't want to be in the REO business. And they, the bank doesn't want to become the biggest flipper in the country overnight if their borrowers don't pay. Instead, they would rather let investors like you and me solve that problem. And so there's you can go and type in hard money lender, insert your city or state, uh, ideally your city, your county, and there's no question there'll be a handful of images that come up. Some might be national companies, some might be local, but it's a fairly simple business to start and you already likely have access to the people that are doing it. So you could find a really great operator and you could lend money to them. As I started, I started my hard money lending business, I believe it was like around $300,000, which in my market was enough to do about two loans at the same time. Uh, when I started, my average loan amount was around $150,000 per loan. And people always ask, what's the amount of money I need to get started? You need enough to do one loan in your market. Now, I've never taken $1 out of that, and I've grown that hard money lending business significantly over the last probably, I think I've been doing around eight or nine years or coming up on almost a decade. And it, I've just grown it really significantly. I let the interest just come in there and compound, and I keep lending it back out. And it's become this incredible cash flow business that really only has one person running it for me. It's not even a full time job, it's probably a third of her overall work. So I love not a lot of people in it. Um, you could easily do it yourself. You've got high returns, you've got liquidity, you got low noise. I love that's there's, a, there's more reason I love the RMA lending business. You can also put collateral on it. So if I've got a million dollars worth of notes out there, I could go to a certain bank that wants to be in this space that understands debt, and you could actually pledge that million dollars of debt, and they would give you a line of credit. So let's pretend I had a million dollars. I went out and did 10 different loans at $100,000 each. Now I've got a million dollars in loans. I could go get a line of credit for, say, 70% of that amount, $700,000, probably around prime plus a half, prime plus one, which today's around going to be around 9% as we're filming this podcast. And I could go back, I could borrow against my loans, and I could take some of those funds and I could lend those again. I could put a little bit of debt. So now I don't have any money in my checking account. I'm not getting drag on cash, meaning it's that money's setting in my checking account. It's not earning me more dollars. It's just sitting there. And so instead of if I had a million dollars out, if I borrowed $100,000 that now I've got 1.1, uh, I've got $1.1 million lent out, I've got a hundred, a million dollars of my cash and $100,000 on a line of credit. Now as all my payments come in, I'm going to immediately apply, apply those to the line of credit, driving down that line of credit. So every dollar I place on that as it comes in, I'm earning 9%. On every, and every time I do that, I'm I'm freeing up that dollar. And so I'm earning 12% or whatever my rate was. And that whole concept there, it's a huge idea. One idea that changed my actual financial life was understanding the velocity of money. I don't wanna take on unreasonable debt, but I wanna have a small amount of debt that allows me to optimize the return. Again, if I had a million dollars in my cash and I have $100,000 in a line of credit, I've only got 10% leverage. It's very, very low, but it allows me as that cash flow comes in to create additional returns. 
Hey, huge thanks to everyone who's written a review for the podcast. It helps us. It helps us share the message. And again, we want to be transparent. We want your honest feedback. Uh, we had some great feedback from David Rennell. Uh, He said, Brett brings more passion to the topic of wealth building more than anyone I've had close proximity. I've learned so much about money and investing. Didn't know what I didn't know. Until getting him in my life and business, if you're serious about these topics and even think you've got it all figured out, I predict you'll blow your mind with the Be Wealthy podcast. He's blown my mind many times. He, his teachings are capital L legit. I'm all in with Tanner Cap. That's a little reference because uh, I rename my company Tanner Cap after billions, after Axe Cap, Bobby Axelrod, one of the greatest characters of our time. Thank you, Brother Bunnell. Love you, man. He's been in our mastermind a really long time. Great dude and is an awesome, awesome human being. Uh, not as good as golfer as me. Uh, joke, he kicked my ass last time we played, but appreciate Dave, uh, Brother Bunnell. Uh, also, we had one from Candace Decker, uh, my friend. She's been in our, our mastermind as well a while and said, uh, Brett's a wealth of knowledge. He gives a different perspective than we're going to find in the fluff of the real estate and influencer industry. He provides no nonsense, practical strategies of wealth. I highly recommend. Thank you, Candace. I love what you're doing. Love you having our world. We would love to get your comments. Please write a review. We care about them. We use it to make it better. Back to the show. All right, let's switch gears. Let's go to my the next business you never heard of, which is notes. Similar to hard money lending, right? These are notes that are secured by houses. But the difference is these are going to be, for the sake of the conversation today, owner-occupied. So think of the seller down the street from you. He sold his home. He sold it. And when he did, he wanted to get a certain price. And so he offered seller financing. He didn't want to lower the price to, to pick up into land where the conventional market is. So he was able to sell it for a little more money because he was willing to be the bank. And if you seller financing transactions, there's less criteria for that seller to go offer that financing. It still needs to go through a process called the RMLO process, which complies with Dodd-Frank. And I know that's a lot of gibberish, but all it really means is that if you're a seller selling a property and you had your borrower go through this process, it gives the documentation and it proves that that borrower has the ability to repay. They've got the... they. It doesn't mean they will pay you, but they have the ability to repay. What's great about the seller financing process is you may not have, let's say you got paid in cash. Well, if you try to do a loan with JP Morgan Chase and you say, hey, all of my money's in cash, first of all, Cole, they're not gonna take the loan, okay? It's a tricky game to say, listen, I don't think you understand, my boss pays me in all cash, even though that's something that happens, uh, that's tricky to explain. However, in seller financing, if you could document the actual cash and you could go through and show, hey, here's their rent receipt and they are gonna ask for you, here's your car payment, you're gonna show how that money was spent as it went into your account, you could actually get approved. Now the seller is financing it, the RMLO company is approving it, so now we've got this note. That note can then be sent to a servicer who would collect the payments on behalf of the lender. Borrower sends their payment, goes to lender, and the seller got some sort of a down payment. I would say the average seller financing is somewhere between 10 and 30% as a down payment. So the seller, instead of having to lower their price to meet the conventional market, they might've made it got a higher price because they had a greater audience, right? They had more supply of borrowers. They could do all the borrowers that could qualify as opposed to the conventional market, which might only be this section of borrowers. So now these notes go down the road and they, the borrower might've paid for 10 years. Now that seller gets to a place to say, hey, I've, I originally did a loan for $250,000. Over 10 years, it got paid down to $150,000. My borrower's always paid, but now I kind of want to sell this note. It's paying me $1,500 a month and I want to sell it. And there's marketplaces you could go to to actually sell this note. And so what I love of, about notes it's a similar thing I love about hard money lending is rates go up and get really, really high. It gets harder to buy hard assets, houses, buildings, and apartments that make sense because as rates have went up and now we're, as we're, as we're filming this today, investment real estate rates are around 8%. Well, if I'm going to to find a house in Maricopa County in greater Phoenix, that will make sense to buy with a lot of debt, we'll call it 80% or 70% debt, it's hard to find an investment that makes sense uh, with 8% debt uh, because the return on the house is probably going to be about 6%. So I'm losing money on every dollar, dollar I borrowed. The opposite side of that is interest rates are really, really high. Debt rates go up, which means the returns on debt are even better. So there's market cycles where it makes a lot more sense to invest in real estate, hard assets. You know, if you're going to own forever, it's always a great time. 
But today, it's harder for me to find assets that I want to buy that make a tremendous amount of sense. It's just much harder to do that. And so in the debt side, it's it's easier than ever because rates are very, very high. So if I want, got down the road, I've got this $1,500 payment, I want to sell it, um, a borrower will typically pay about 85% of what's called the UPB. All it means is what's owed. So borrower owes in this example, they started at $250,000 loan amount. They've paid it down to 150 over 10 years. And that seller says, hey, look, this has been awesome. I want to go buy a boat or something really cool. I want to go buy an investment property. I've got this note, it's $150,000. Uh, 15% of that coal is going to be twenty two five. And so if they could sell that note for, what is that, $127,500, they might be happy to walk away today, take their $122,500 and go do their next investment. So there's marketplaces where you can sell that on. If you want to take a look at the stuff, there's a great site out there called Paperstack. We'll drop in the show notes, but it's Paperstack, S-T-A-C. You could go there and you could see seller finance notes. Uh, there's a handful of reasons I love the notes, but the first one is you can buy seasoned notes. So the example I just gave you, that borrower had 10 years of seasoning. So we could look at the last three years of payments of that payment history and see, did they pay on time? Did they pay late? How many times did they get to 30 days late, to 60 days late, to 90 days late? And so in looking at that, I can make a really good decision on, do I want to buy this note? I also get to look at their collateral, what's called a collateral file. So you've got the deed of trust, the promissory note, all the other docs that are part of that mortgage process. Did they have the Dodd-Frank compliance? Did they go through the RMLO process? So I can look at all that and really evaluate what am I buying? Most importantly, right? Hopefully that home that they bought, that they did the loan for $250,000. Again, if it was worth 310 years ago, hopefully that home's worth $400,000. So my risk as the lender is going down every single time the borrower makes a payment. I want you to think about that for a minute. Imagine an investment where you loved it on the front end and every time a borrower pays you, your return's the same, but your risk is going like this, right? Value's going up, your principal balance is going down, and so the gap is getting wider and wider and wider between the amount owed and the value of the property, which means your note has less risk to you. Again, as an investor, our only job is to price in risk. It's got less risk built into it. So most of the notes, you're not going to want to sell them. You get something great, you just hold on to it. You've got a 30-year cash flow. If you wrote a 30-year note, that note's going to pay you every single month for a very, very long period of time. So the, the biggest difference between notes and hard money lending, hard money lending are typically shorter term. Notes are going to be longer term. Notes are going to usually have a principal and interest component, right? They're paying principal down. You're also going to impound for taxes and insurance. All that means is it's a little more complicated to collect, but there's a lot of servicers. There's, a, there's probably... 50 big national servicers across the country that would handle this for you on your behalf. And they're going to charge you around 40 to $50 a month to collect that payment, make sure the insurance is paid, the taxes are paid, and then send the money to you every single month. So it's got a high return. It's got fairly low noise. It does have more noise, meaning there's more things like the borrower may not, might not pay their insurance and you might have to force place the insurance, buy insurance on your behalf, because if that burnt down and they didn't pay the insurance, you would actually be left and have to collect. So there's more noise than hard money, but it's much, much less noise than what a single family rental property would be. There's a lot more moving parts in a rental property than there is a piece of debt, because really all we're trying to figure out on the note side, did the borrower pay or did they not pay? Or do they, didn't, they miss a payment or miss an insurance? But usually it's all around paying and it's not that hard to manage that process. The other beautiful part about notes is if you, if you own that note. So one way what I explained earlier was selling that note was selling it at a percentage of par. Right? I took a $150,000 note. We sold it for 85%. The technical term would be selling it for 85% of what par was, par being 100% of the note value. Another way to do it right, would be you could take that note and I'll, I'll just give you a different example. Uh, let's pretend I bought a property for $50,000 and I got the greatest deal ever, right? It was probably worth like 80 or 85,000. And then I went and I was able to sell it for $99,000. Now, why can I sell it for 99,000 if I think it was worth 85? Well, if I'm willing to offer seller financing, I can get a premium because I'm willing to offer financing to people who otherwise might not have been able to buy a home in the conventional market, right? So I'm able to charge a premium for that because I'm willing to offer the financing that a bank would not. <clears throat> so if the borrower puts $10,000 down, that's an $89,000 mortgage, fixed at 9.9% for 30 years is $774 a month. So let's assume I do this loan and I've got an, an investor, I've got an uncle that hit the Powerball and he's crushing it. 
and he would love to lend me money at 8% interest. And I've got this note, and what I wanna do is as quickly as I can, I wanna create another note so I can have $774 a month coming in. So I go to my rich uncle Frank and I say, Frank, dude, give me 40 grand, and I'm gonna give you the next, and I did some math here, I'm gonna give you the next 64 payments. So Uncle Frank, for the next 64 months, I'm gonna send you $774 per month. So I'm gonna get zero, but I've got my 40 grand back. So now Frank is gonna say, well, what if what if the borrower doesn't pay or, or what if you don't pay me? Uh, Frank, that's the best possible scenario. You've got a note that for $89,000 on a property that's worth somewhere between 85 and 99,000, we'll even say it's 85. And so if the worst case scenario, you foreclose, you get an $85,000 house for 40 grand. How safe is this investment? It's the safest thing ever. Cole, that is almost the safest possible investment I can think of, something that's less than 50% loan to value, right? Investment to value. So that's not gonna happen because we're me doing this with Uncle Frank, I'm going to step in and I'm going to pay and I'm going to make sure he gets his money back so that I still own my note and what's valuable. Now, what do I have? I have my $40,000. I could go do this transaction again, and then I could come back to Frank and I could sell him the payments. Now, once those 64 months are up, so for 64 months, that $774 is going to him. After that period of time, that comes back to me. So I still own, right, the remaining 294 I'm sorry, 296 payments. So it started out at 360. Uncle Frank got 64. I still own 296 payments. At $774 a month, that's $229,000. And I basically have no money in the deal. If I wanted to raise $50,000, it would have just involved me selling him more payments. It might've been another another year's worth of payments. So I'd have gone to 72 payments or 76 payments. And I could do the math for whatever that would be. So I can, there's a way here where I could get my capital back and go create another note. And then I wanna see how can I go do this as fast as I possibly can and go create hundreds of these and it's all the cash flow you want. Uh, I have done this exact thing and I can tell you that it absolutely works and today I've got over 100 notes doing this exact thing. I love notes. Love our seller finance space. It's a beautiful, beautiful business. There's a number of places you can go to learn more about it. I would tell you one of the books I would start with, there's there's two ones I love. Uh, it's My Life in a Thousand Houses, The Art of Seller Financing by Mitch Steven. Uh, great dude, wrote a good book. Uh, I actually went out and spent a day with him because I wanted to learn more about the space. I'd also read this in book called Invest in Debt by Jimmy Napier, and we'll drop that in the show notes for you. Those two books kind of give you the way to think about this debt and seller finance space in a different way. All right, I wanna move to the next one. And this is one I definitely think you likely will not have heard of. Uh, I had heard of it, but I didn't realize the way you could do it. And it's oil or natural gas royalties. So most people are familiar with seeing natural gas. You might've seen different, like the companies that are, that are drilling it or that are refining it or that are selling it on the stock market or things like that. But what if you could own, right, the royalties to it? So I want you to think for a minute, there's, you think about land, Two ways to think about it. You got everything above the surface where the buildings are. You've got, if there's cattle grazing, the land, everything from the surface up. Then you got everything below the surface, which would be the mineral rights, natural gas, oil, all that stuff. And so you could sell that together, but you could also separate it. So I invest in the royalties only. So someone else owns the land, they're doing their thing. I own the rights to the minerals, the royalties in the ground, primarily in the natural gas space. And I got involved, I started looking at um, different types of natural gas. I had a really, really good friend in this space who was crushing it. And I had a belief that natural gas, as we keep moving forward environmentally, uh, the United States has a tremendous amount of natural gas. It's a very, very clean fuel, relatively speaking. And we've got a ton of it here, right? So it's likely that we're gonna keep pulling out more and more. Prices, when I started investing in it, were at an all-time, near all-time historic 30-year low. And so I like the space. Now, what I didn't realize is it's a real estate play. I had a 1031 exchange, so I had sold a property and I did not want to pay tax. I wanted to 1031, so I'm going to exchange that for a different income producing asset. And I, I only had 45 days to identify the properties because that's how it worked. From the day you sell to the day you want to buy, you've got 45 days to do that. 
And so I was getting towards the end of my 45 days to identify the properties. Now you got six months to close, but again, only 45 days to identify. And my buddy's like, dude, you should 1031 exchange into a natural gas royalty. And I kind of looked at him like, man, you gotta, like, you gotta read some books and stuff. You can't take a house and invest in royalties that aren't even, they're like, it's not even a thing. And he's like, dude, it's deeded real. He's like, first thing he said, which is again, something I learned from my really, really good friend, uh, Kent Clothier, who said, Brett, is that your truth or the truth? First of all, you're wondering like, how many kinds of truth are there? Well, I guess the answer is it's, it's my truth. And so this was one of those cases where uh, this gentleman said to me is, Brett, is that your truth or the truth? Because I'd use that line on him a lot. And I said, well, I guess it's my truth. He's like, yeah, I do it all the time. You can absolutely 1031 exchange into a natural gas royalty. So I did. I bought my first one. And of course, whenever you do your first investment, and I trusted entirely in the process with my friend, right? I had one of the foremost experts, his family was in it, right? Just a, a legacy kind of generational natural gas and oil royalty guy. And I made my bet all based on him and the knowledge I had. I had a little bit of knowledge, but I'm literally basing it entirely on a great human being. And you know what happens when you do something like that, Cole? Of course, it crushes. Uh, natural gas went from like $3 to like eight fifty or 9 You can go look at that spike. And it was insane. Uh, but there were other really, really cool parts to it, right? So that depending on your strategy, and for the sake of the conversation we're having today, you can invest in producing or non-producing royalties. Everything I buy in the natural gas or oil space is all producing. I want things that are actually have cash flow. I'm buying a stream of someone else's cash flow. They were getting it before. Now I'm purchasing it. But I like to buy in what uh, my friend calls white space. So we're buying, we've got um, cash flow. There's all these wells out there. It's producing, but we're buying it where there's white space. In other words, it'd make logical sense for them to put another well in there. And as that happens... I get more money, right? I get I get another bite at the apple. They find more. And so I've done this a few different times and it's worked out really, really well for me. And so things I love about it, you talk about noise, there's zero. If you call one of the operators that's that's taking and paying the royalties to you, and you're like, hey, I want to really get involved in the process. I'm going to call you. And they're like, dude, did you get your ACH? Do you need to update your ACH? Other than that, goodbye, which is amazing from a passive investment standpoint. So all the investments when you're investing capital, you should be thinking about how passive is this investment? How much of my personal time am I going to spend managing this asset after I start, after I make my initial investment? This one, you'll spend zero. Uh, you're going to get a high return. 10% plus is where I think you're going to land. Now it's a declining yield curve. Super nerdy, all that mean? You're, the money you get the first year, if they don't drill another well, will slowly decline over the first 10 years and then it kind of trails out. But the goal being that they redrill another well. So it goes like this, hopefully it pops back up and you have some of that um, throughout. You're able to 1031 exchange into it. Uh, you're, you also have some upside. I mentioned as they drill another well, you've got upside baked into it. Uh, again, if you go to the internet, um, you wouldn't learn about this. You wouldn't know uh, that this is just an investment out there that's totally available. Uh, it's primarily been kind of hidden and on the side for, for certain groups, whether it's family offices, but there's some, there's some actually some publicly traded companies now that actually do this as well. And again, I'm a private investor, invest my own capital into the exact investment in that space. So I'd encourage you to take a look at natural gas royalties or minerals as a passive investment. You might be in a state like whether if you're in, you're, they're all over Texas, you got some stuff in the Northeast around Pennsylvania, I've got some stuff up there. Uh, there's a number of different places in the country that there's a ton of natural gas in the United States. Hey, if you made it this far, you must like what you're hearing. Hit the subscribe button so you don't miss out on future episodes. Hit subscribe. We wanna make sure you don't miss anything that we cover. Next example you never heard of, might be a land lease. A little more expensive to get into these. But there's places where the land, you own the land and you're leasing it to someone else. If you see some of the best real estate in the world might be on a land lease. If you go, uh, a popular company that does would be Starbucks. Someone owns a hard corner. You know, they own the, the hard corner of Main Street and Main Street. Uh, they've got that spot there and they don't want to sell the land, but Starbucks wants to go in there and build Starbucks or the new Quick Trip wants to go in there. And the land's just incredibly value. Seller doesn't want to get rid of it. So they're basically going to say, hey, Starbucks, come in here and build your building, do your thing. I'll lease you the land. So typically you're going to buy a land lease at around a 5% return. But you're if you buy it for, say, a couple million dollars, the building and everything might be worth six or $7 million. So you've got very, very low risk, completely passive. There's absolutely Absolutely nothing to do other than set your checking account and watch for that money to drop in. And so most people aren't aware that some of the best real estate out there might be on a land lease. And these are investments you could take advantage of. Uh, the way that I'm using this in my world today is I've got some of these houses that I bought that, that achieved their returns. They did a certain thing. And now I'm, I'm in the middle of taking about 21 of mine in Alabama. And I'm going to 1031 exchange that 
into something like that. I'm actually looking at doing, it's not a land lease. I'm looking at doing a Starbucks on an 18 year lease. Uh, but there are other ones I've looked at. I don't think these are the ones I'm gonna do this time, but it, where it's just a land lease. So again, I would just be buying the dirt underneath the Chick-fil-A or something like that. It's another investment that you likely hadn't heard of. Lastly, I'm gonna throw things something super random, which relates, Cole, to the Punta Mita fishing trip. And so I went down there and I've been going to this place in Punta Mita. I'm the self-elected mayor, Cole. And when you're self-elected, you really can't be removed. Think of the benefits. And I go there all the time and I've I've just fell in love with this fishing company, specifically the owner and his staff. Uh, he's now got one of the biggest fishing companies in, in Mexico. If you ever go there, it's Spearmax, greatest dude ever. And so I, I love going with him. I love the way he treats my family. I mean, I'm a semi-pro spearfisher, Cole. I don't know if you know that. And semi-pro just means aspiring to be pro, probably not going to be pro. Uh, I'm also semi-pro pickleball. A handful of things, Cole. I don't even know that. Semi-pro uh, is just a fancy way of saying I'm passionate and not great. Cole, passionate. Just not not super not super uh, fantastic at it, and so we go down there forever. And I've just built this incredible relationship with this gentleman. And I was asking him, like, dude, how do I get in the boating business? And what are the ideas I always think about? Is how do I take some of the expenses I have? Usually, it's done in business. I try to take our biggest expenses, and how do I turn around and turn those into profits? Right. So if I'm paying for something, is there a way I can create a business out of it so I actually make money and I don't have the expense? Well, uh, a little different here. Uh, I've got an expense that's called fishing and spearfishing. And as a guy who spends probably 20 or 30 days a year in a boat in the water, uh, it's a significant expense. And so I'm like, how do I get in the boating business so I could maybe have a better boat, uh, make it more cool, live a more epic experience with my kids and family? And then how do I not pay for that? right? Like how can I actually make money? And so he's like, dude, some, uh, if you bought this kind of boat, we have a need and you could, it could do some of the fishing tournaments. There's these huge fishing tournaments out there, which I don't know that that's my thing, but Cole, I don't know. Maybe it is my thing. I don't know. Um, what I want to do is go out and I want to fish all day. I'd like a little cabin inside. I can get some, have some food. I can chill out, go on the AC for a minute. Then I want to go back and slay fish all day. And he's like, you know, you can make this investment. You could buy this boat. I'll charter it out for you and I'll manage it all. When you come, you just use it. You pay your actual costs and you can get your money back in probably three to five years if we do this right. Now, it's not the, this is not the wildest returns, Cole, where you're like, this is how you should bet your retirement. However, I think if you say, what's, what investment out there can I use, create incredible happiness in my life? and then get my money back and not have a lot of financial risk. I think if that's the case, I think most of us would say yes to that if we were in a financial position to do so. So I don't think you should start investing in yachts, Cole, and that's what that's what we're saying here on the Be Wealthy podcast. What we're saying is there's really cool things you could do that enhance your life that involve thinking about different about happiness. And so I wanna, I wanna tell you a story about my father-in-law. So I had this cabin in the mountains, it's about three hours from, from Arizona in Pine Top. And in the summer for a couple months, when it gets, it can get a little hot and I have a problem. If the room's hot, I cannot sleep. And so our cabin would get up to like 80 degrees during the day. And then it would take to like 10, 30, 11 at night to get down to where it's like the 72 and I could actually fall asleep. And it might even take till midnight some nights. And, and upstairs where the kids are is we just like an oven. So I'm just not sleeping. And I, I back, this is 20, 2010. I'm like, I wonder what it costs to put an AC unit in here. Now, not at that point in time, not a lot of cabins. The newer built ones had AC, but the like longstanding, anything built prior to 2000, no one has an AC unit. So I put it in and it cost, at that point in time, it cost $2,500. And my father-in-law came over, except my cabin wasn't huge. And it was before the prices have blown up uh, on everything. But so my, my father-in-law comes over, he walks in the house and I've got this thing in the middle of the day down to like 70 degrees and it's almost cold inside. It felt in the cabin. And he's like, dude, what's going on? You have AC? I said, yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't sleep. It, it's annoying. It's $2,500. And I it just, it, it's, it's going to make me happy. And I think someone's going to pay me $2,500 when I sell it. And he'd owned a cabin there for 30 years. And the next week I see the same AC guy installing an AC unit at his cabin. And I said, I can't believe that you've, you've had a cabin for 30 years and you just got, he goes, Brett, I thought about it. What you said, you can't amortize your happiness. And what he meant was you can't think about how many days you're happy with something and try to count up all the pennies. Sometimes some things you're just going to make an investment. If it makes you happy, the happiness is the investment. So I think about that a lot. I've learned a lot uh, from my father-in-law, I've learned a tremendous amount from him. And it's just, you can't 
You can't amortize your happiness. And so I'll keep you updated on what happens with the boat. Uh, and I'm most excited about being in business with the owner of this company. Uh, he is the person I secretly want to be. I think he's my spirit animal. Uh, one of the coolest humans I've ever got to meet. Just an amazing dude. And so I'm excited to announce today I become that guy's business partner when with my new fishing yacht, Cole, that we're dropping out there. So those were the five investments we talked about a lot today. But I want to back up. We we talked about hard money, why I think it's something you should look at. And people are, there's never going to be uh, a shortage of people that want to borrow money, right? When you're lending money to others, there's never going to be a shortage. I think you should look at notes. It's a marketplace out there. People are creating them. People need to sell them. It's a space you could play in. We talked about natural gas royalties and how it might be the most passive thing you could imagine. Uh, we talked about land leases as just an investment you had have heard of just where you're owning land. The, the land underneath some of the best real estate out there. And then we talked about something weird about how could you take life, experience, life experiences and take your costs, eliminate them, get your money back, and allow you to have a better experience at less money. And so what do you think about those investments? If you're going to go into any of those, go find out, go find the top expert, go find the best books in the space, go read and get educated before you do absolutely anything. Education is the answer. I did want to go to our Facebook group. So if you've got questions and you love watching the podcast, you'll want us to answer something, please, please, please post those in there. We will answer them. We've got a handful today. And so the first question uh, comes from Robert. He asked, do you have thoughts on a SEP IRA? I am a real estate agent. Uh, first thing I would tell you if you're a real estate agent or any business professional that had a former career, if you had a former career and you've got an old retirement account, I would find out, are you able to self-direct that retirement account? We'll drop a link to the company that we use that does all the self-directing for the Be Wealthy podcast. I love them. They do such a great job for our clients. Just tell them we sent you and they will take amazing care of you, but they're going to help you take your old 401k that's in some likely mutual fund or thing or whatever. And they're basically going to help you get it into where you have checkbook control and you get to decide where your money goes. Because the thing that I believe that's so important is that you're the one guiding it. So Robert, you're a real estate agent. Why not take your old retirement account, put it in your control, and then invest it into real estate in the thing that you know better than anyone else? Second thing I would think about doing is I would set up, try to figure out how you get a Roth account that's also self-directed. So they could help you set this up. You've got your traditional account, and it may make sense for you to convert some of your traditional IRA to Roth dollars. Now you're going to pay tax when you do that, but all the money you make in that Roth account, you will never pay tax. You need to do a little math and assume and guess like how long do you have before retirement? What rates of return do you get? And then you could, you could analyze, Hey, here's going to be the tax in a traditional versus if I did in a Roth, should I pay tax today or should I pay tax later? If you've got a longer horizon, it will make a tremendous amount of sense for you to look at paying the tax now. So you don't paying it later. In a lot of cases, the longer your horizon, the better, but it will save you millions and millions of dollars. We'll drop a link in the show notes to get connected to those guys if you want, but I'm a huge fan of you investing your dollars and taking control of it. Speaking about investments you've heard of, how about a strategy for creating wealth that you haven't heard of? It's called a self-directed retirement account. If you're listening to this and you were out and you, before you had your business or you have this old retirement account sitting out there, you're really not thinking about what's it invested in, who's it investing in, and what are they even doing? Uh, I don't love it. And I get a lot of flack from the financial planner world because I think buying a stock portfolio and just buying the average ETF, I don't think that's what most people want. And that's what you want to do. Do it in your own self-directed retirement account. Take your money out of there. Self-direct it. What does that mean? When you self-direct, you have checkbook control of your retirement account. If you want to put it back in the same thing you were doing, you'll save all the fees that you were paying before. But better yet, why don't you go invest it where you have your own advantage? Think if you were to invest it in the assets that I cover covered today on our podcast, the five investments you never heard of, but you were taking your retirement, getting those types of returns in something that you understood and you have an unfair advantage. I can't say enough amazing things about today's sponsor, which is Horizon Trust. If you go to maxoutretirement.com, they will take care of you. They'll knock 20% off your first year's fees. If you go there, they're the best at what they do. They're where all my friends and family go. Check out Horizon Trust. Go to maxoutretirement.com. They can help you get control of retirement funds, self-direct so you go out and you can be wealthy. Now, let's get back to the show. Uh, question two, 
Uh, the best ways to find building or multifamily, the best way to create funds, pulling resources to build multifamily, and the best ways to hold it if it's purchased by pulling clients' funds, and that's by Shonda. So a lot going on there. Number one, if you're going to go create a fund or take people's dollars, more like a handful of people's dollars, and put them into a fund, you need to make sure you're following all the fund rules. I see many people that are taking a bunch of dollars and throwing it into kind of an entity or not. And it, there's a lot of ways to get into the SEC and get into trouble. So we're not going to cover that here. But if you're going to set up a fund, there's a way to do it. Those documents are expensive. It is a process. But I'm going to I'm going to answer your question that let's pretend there were three people and I wanted to buy an apartment for $300,000 and we each put $100,000 into an LLC with an operating agreement. That would be a way to do that. It needs to specify whose capital it is. You need to have an attorney that's vetting it for you to make sure it's legit. Uh, and then you need experience, right? I would, if you have, do you have lots of experience finding and building multifamily or is this your first venture there? I'm always very skeptical of anyone who takes someone outside's funds into an investment strategy that they haven't yet done lots and lots of times. I think there's tremendous risk there. And I think actually the fundraising business is fraught with people that actually don't have money in the deal and are taking crazy amounts of risk. And so I'm always the fan of why aren't you taking control of your own money and you putting it in there? So Sean, I might actually solve your thing a different way. How could you go earn the money that you're currently raising? How can you raise your income so that you actually don't have to raise outside funds? I have done nearly all of this outside of the first couple years where I just I, I had an investor fall on my lap, but it was only a couple years and I wired that back. I've done all of this by raising my income and just in taking those funds and investing it. So I put the pressure on driving my income to solve the capital raise problem, and then I was able to invest, and I didn't have to pool it and dilute my returns, and that's the way I did it. Uh, you go slower, but I think in the end, you get there faster because you're able to make your own decisions and you don't have to rely on others or go slower with a group decision. Uh, third question from Anthony. I'm buying my first role in the next 30 days. I'm currently negotiating. Should we cost seg right away or would you wait? Uh, the way I would do it, the, one of the reasons I would wait right now, uh, and it won't really matter there, but there's a bill in the house that likely will go through that will move bonus depreciation back to 100%. That's super nerdy, Cole. What does all that mean? When you do a cost seg, it's going to get you more tax dollars back likely next year than it did this year. doesn't matter when you file the return. It matters when the tax law passes. And they're talking about making it retroactive so it actually would apply to 2023. But every year, I basically, before I file my tax return, I get the cost seg done. You can do that anytime you want. The day that matters for a rental property is the day you placed it into service. So if you bought it and signed a lease, say in 2024, anytime, the cost seg is going to apply to that year if you want it to, uh, or when you file that cost seg report. We'll drop a link in there for you to get the cost seg report. Uh, we've got a company that does it. I, I, I have not seen anybody that does it for less than they do, uh, and they do all of ours. And we actually just keep a note, a list of these, and at the end of the year, we give them all of them. We get all the cost segs, and then we file those with our tax returns. So we're, as we're wrapping up here today, um, we talked about a lot. We talked about the investments. I did about five investments I think you hadn't heard of. There are lots and lots more, but I want to give an example. There's a whole world out there that you might not have heard about in investing that might be really cool and might be the thing that can unlock exactly what you want in your investment and matches up with who you are as an investor. And that's going to be based on a couple things, right? Who you are as an investor, how active do you want to be? How passive do you want to be? What about from a risk standpoint? Everybody wants the crazy return, but do you want risk that's so high that you could lose 40% of your capital? Or do you want a little less risk, right? Where you would, you know, you got a safe return, but you know, your money's relatively productive. What about noise, right? I think we're all at different journeys and how much noise we're going to take. For me, I'm in a place with all this beautiful white hair that Noise matters to me. So investment, even though it can make a crazy return, if it came with, and it was safe, but it came with a tremendous amount of noise, uh, that's not for me, right? I do not want a lot of noise. I'm looking to simplify. That's just that I'm in a different place. So you got to know those things about your investment and think about these investments. I gave you ones that I think hit all the criteria for from for the novice or for the super sophisticated and just gave you different things to think about. Uh, so get started today. Pick one of the assets that I talked about above and go grab two books in the top podcast on that space, go research it and go listen to it and really dig in and see if this matches up to what you would want as investment. Does it make sense for you? And then if you do all of the research and you're very, very comfortable and you've underwritten and looked at hundreds of deals, when you're ready, make a decision and go forward if it's right for you. Hey, if you made it this far, you must like what you're hearing. Hit the subscribe button so you don't miss out on future episodes. Hit subscribe. We want to make sure you don't miss anything that we cover.
if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, give us a review, give us a high rating or give us your honest rating. We would love to get your rating because I actually want this to be valuable for you, right? This is all a self-funded project. This is all out to help people. There's no ulterior motive here. And so do us a favor, give us your honest feedback. If you can write us comments, we read those and we are gonna pick one out of every 10 of the people that actually take the time to write us a review. It doesn't have to be overwhelmingly positive. Tell us what you actually think we want the truth. We're gonna grab one of those people. We're gonna give them one of our incredible swag. Hold on, Cole, I'm gonna show. This is gonna be, oh, this is where I break the entire office. We are gonna grab one of every 10 people that write a rating. One of every 10, Cole, we're gonna send them, look at this. The brand new, no one has, mastermind exclusive only, get free, be wealthy. That's Woo! right, Cole. That, Cole, I mean, what? <laughs> so uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, type in your comments. We want to see them. We want to make this better. And with that, this is episode 0007. See you back here next week. I appreciate you guys. Go out, be wealthy.